Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Peter, how are you this morning? I'm great, Eric. How about yourself? Oh, I'm I'm doing fantastic. It is, it is a beautiful day. Uh, it's nice to be back with you. Talking about something very, very important. Um, today's conversation is about Medicare, right? And it's my understanding that you'll be talking about Medicare open enrollment period and you have a return guest that really doesn't need an introduction because she appeared on episode 66. That's right. Diane Savastano from uh, Health Assist is back with us again. Uh, she, even though it's her second appearance, I, I still think we should do an introduction. Don't you think, Eric? True. Yes, she, definitely. She's definitely worthy of a great introduction. Go for I it. I think so. So, uh, Diane, uh, so glad you, you're able to come back and, and, and talk to us about an important uh, subject. Uh, just I'll let you introduce you and your firm, but you founded um, Health Assist in, in 2004. And uh, I know your, your organization does a lot more than just Medicare advice. Um, and I think you just you nailed it with your tagline, um, navigating the complexities of healthcare. And um, man, there are a lot of complexities. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so happy you're here to, uh, to smooth all those complexities over for us. Well, Peter, I'm thrilled to be back. Great. Uh, to, to, why don't you give a, a brief introduction to, to Health Assist and, and, and what you do and, and how, you, how you help people? Great. Okay. Well, you did mention my tagline, and we do help individuals navigate the healthcare system. But I might add a little to that and say we also help people navigate the insurance system as well. Um, I began this journey many years ago when I found myself in corporate settings uh, with people asking me over and over about the healthcare system because um, I had begun, I began my career as a nurse. And so I found myself kind of sharing my insider knowledge about uh, the healthcare system and helping people kind of wade through the challenges. Um, so um, I founded Health Assistant and I do exactly that. Uh, we will um, uh, escort clients to physician appointments. We plan for those appointments in advance by creating an agenda. Um, we manage people's hospitalizations. Uh, we manage care in their home. We might do some research for them. So we really do soup to nuts project management of people's health care. Of course, when you're managing people's health care, you have to fully appreciate their insurance status. And so that certainly is part of the project when we're working with people for, again, full-blown project management. But what emerged out of that was assisting people who um, are newly enrolling in both Medicare and or purchasing insurance on the open market. So that's the other side of our business is specifically working with um, individuals surrounding their health insurance. I just am, am amazed, just my own personal experience, and not to say that we're um, high-end users of healthcare, but man, oh man, it just feels like 
it's so complicated <laughs> and there's so many moving parts and it's so frustrating and it, it to me it's there's our whole system is is lacking a communication uh system that's easy for most people to get through um and i, I what you are doing is of such value to so many people that may not have um you know family members right next door that can that can help and and interpret and uh and assist uh people through this 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 complexity yes it is incredibly complex and segmented and people are in silos and communication really struggles i have to say that i've really watched it um you know, it's challenging to begin with. And then I think COVID has made it that much more challenging. And with what's going on in our labor force has made it much more challenging. It's astonishing to me these days. It's like you call physicians offices and you can't get through it all. And I, I'm hearing from administrators, we, we don't have the personnel to even answer the phone. So there's just it, it is challenging. Um, I would say most people in healthcare want to do really good. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and so, but the system doesn't often support them to do so. So we kind of know our way around those challenges. Yeah. And then when you bring in the, uh, the, 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 the payment system, the, the insurance system into that complexity, it is just, it can be overwhelming. Yes. And, and that's what I, I wanted to, to do today is, um, is to offer a, a, a summary of, of Medicare. Just let's give, get the basics down so that people have a place to begin a conversation about, about those benefits. Um, and, you know, actually, as I, as I was thinking about it, this is the third podcast we've done with someone from Health Assist. Uh, we did episode 17 back in September of 2019 with uh, Camille Barron. And uh, we, we went through the Medicare basics. And so thank you for, for revisiting that with us today. Absolutely. Um, and so, so what is Medicare and, and how does it work? Sure. So Medicare is the federal health insurance program, and it was started in 1965 under the Johnson administration. Um, and there are two original components of Medicare that exist today, but they began in 1965. So the two original components are Part A and Part B. And just to sep separate them and, and distinguish them from each other, Part A is the component that pays for inpatient care. So that's care that you might receive in a hospital or in a skilled nursing facility. And it also pays for um, hospice care and some home care. And generally, Part A doesn't cost anything because we have paid our sort of Medicare taxes. And as long as you've worked 40 quarters in your life, uh, when you go to enroll in Medicare Part A, there's no cost associated with it. The other original component is Medicare Part B, and that's the component that pays for outpatient care. So this is the care that most of us access you know, all the time. Uh, this is seeing our physicians, having some lab work, having an x-ray, outpatient surgery, outpatient chemotherapy, um, durable medical equipment. That's all paid for under Medicare Part B. Uh, and there is a cost associated with that. And I'm very happy to tell you that this year it went down a little bit. 
I've never had that experience before. So people newly enrolling in Medicare or anyone enrolled in Medicare, Part B is going to cost $164.90 a month. Um, and most people, if they're um, taking Social Security, it will come right out of their Social Security check. So uh, that's down from 170.10. So that's kind of good news to share. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, in uh, There are a couple of other components of Medicare. I'm going to talk about, I'll just mention Medicare Part D first. Um, so under the George W. Bush administration, uh, the Medicare Part D prescription drug legislation was passed in, in 2003. It didn't get enacted until 2006. But prior to that, Medicare didn't pay for any outpatient prescription drugs. Um, and so this program uh, was born in 2006. It's a pretty complex program <laughs> and it remains complex. Um, there usually you buy a Medicare Part D plan from a private insurance company. So it has a premium associated with it. It also has a deductible associated with it. And just like employer sponsored plans, all the prescription drugs that you take are placed into tiers. And based on the tier that your drug is in determines what your monthly um, co-pay or co-insurance amount will be. The reason I say it's complex is because there is something called a coverage gap and there's something called catastrophic coverage. Um, and this has emerged and evolved and changed a little bit. It changed in 2010 with some upgrades during uh, when the Affordable Care Act was passed. And also with the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, some other changes are occurring. Um, but it gets complex for people who take pretty expensive medications because they pay different amounts depending on what phase of coverage they're in. So we do detailed analyses for, for people to help them understand all of that. I'm going to go back to what's called Medicare Part C. Most people don't know it is that, but Medicare Part C um, sort of evolved and emerged in the 1990s as the managed care movement was evolving. Uh, and Medicare Part C is a choice that Medicare recipients have to enroll in what's called a Medicare Advantage plan. And I'm sure you've seen the ads on TV because they really are uh, plentiful these days. And so a Medicare Part C plan is something you can choose in lieu of traditional A, B, and D because a Medicare Part C plan bundles in prescription drug coverage. And these plans operate, again, very similarly to employer-sponsored plans. You buy them from a private insurance company. They may or may not have a premium associated with them. Um, and uh, they it might be an HMO or a PPO. Uh, and these are plans that... Uh, function differently. They're more pay-as-you-go plans. So you have individual co-pays and co-insurance amounts as you access care. Um, so that's kind of the basics of, uh, of Medicare, A, B, C, and D. Now, with um, the Medicare plan, the original plan, um, you still need to get a, a, a gap insurance plan, correct? That is an option that you have. So on average, Medicare A and B pays for approximately 80% of your health care cost. 
And so another product, there are products that surround traditional Medicare A and B. An option that individuals have is to um, mitigate their risk for the leftover amounts. So I always like to use the example, if you have $100,000 worth of healthcare cost and Medicare pays 80% of that, so 80,000, well, that other 20,000 is your responsibility and that 20,000 is not capped at anything. And so uh, a way to mitigate that risk Risk is to purchase what's called a Medicare supplement plan, also known as a Medigap plan. And that's a plan you would buy, again, from a private insurance company that would have a separate premium associated with it. And it would, it would supplement or wrap around traditional Medicare to come in, and depending on which type of plan you, you buy, um, it would pay for those uh, that 20% that Medicare doesn't cover. So the I, I find my brain works um, when I think about it this way. There's the original Medicare, and if you, with me, original Medicare, you've got Part A, you've got Part B, and you've got Part D, prescription, hospital, and outpatient. That's right. And then likely most of our listeners will want to buy a, a, a supplemental policy to, to complement that coverage. That's right. Now, with the... Part C, um, or the Medicare Advantage plans, there's no supplement necessary, correct? That's correct. In fact, you're not allowed to buy a supplement plan if you have a Medicare Part C, Medicare Advantage plan. Mm -hmm. Now, those plans, um, just a little detail about those plans, those plans do have caps on them. And so the caps, or it's called an out-of-pocket maximum. Again, it's a way to mitigate risk. So if you're in one of these plans and God forbid you have really high healthcare cost in a given year, um, and let's say your out-of-pocket costs for co-pays and co-insurances reach a certain threshold, and these thresholds can range anywhere from $5,000 to $10,000, um, depending on the plan that you're in, um, if you meet that threshold, you've met your out-of-pocket maximum, that means the plan will kick in and pay it 100% after that. But many of those plans exclude prescription drug coverage from that. So, um, but it's, it, these plans operate differently. So the two buckets I usually have for my clients are A, B, supplement, and D, or in lieu of that, they might choose a Medicare Advantage plan. And just from a premium standpoint, isn't the typically the Medicare Advantage plans might be less expensive? Well, the devil's always in the details, Peter, <laughs> because you really have to do a pretty thorough analysis. They appear to be less expensive up front because many of them don't have any premiums associated with them. Even if you're in a Medicare Advantage plan, you always have to pay your Part B premium. And we could talk about an IRMA later, which is uh, an extra amount you might have to pay if you happen to be a higher income beneficiary. So even if you're in a Medicare Advantage plan, you always have to pay your Part B premium and your IRMA. What you might be saving is the premium on the Medicare Supplement plan and the Medicare Part D plan. However, 
your out-of-pocket costs might indeed be higher based on how much healthcare you access throughout the year. So it's really hard to do a, I tried to the best of my ability, but it's challenging sometimes to do a complete apples to apples comparison. Um, but I do do some predictions sometimes. And so sometimes a Medicare Advantage plan is not less expensive. Again, the analysis is important. Yeah, so it depends upon uh, where you might reside, um, what kind of traveling you do, um, how much flexibility you want. I, th I think there's a lot that goes into that decision. Absolutely, because Medicare Advantage plans are always either an HMO, which is a fairly restrictive plan, meaning you have to designate a primary care physician, you have to get a referral, and you have to stay within a given network in order to have coverage. You could also choose a Medicare Advantage plan that's a PPO, a little less restrictive. You don't have to designate primary care or get a referral. And you do still have some benefits outside of the network, but you have a lesser benefit outside of the network. Or an HMO, you have no benefits outside of the network. So um, traveling and whether or not you're going to spend time outside of a given region, all of that should be taken into consideration, especially if you might choose an HMO plan. You wouldn't want to choose an HMO plan if you're going to be outside of a region for a period of time. You probably want to choose a PPO plan or do the A, B supplement and D. So we look at all of that. Yeah, this is where uh, people's heads start spinning when you when we think about the options, and and the and and the possibilities, because we don't know what's how our healthcare is going to evolve. We don't know what's what's uh, lays ahead, and so you just have to pr be prepared and understand what you're getting into one way or another. Exactly. That's always my goal. You know, I, I guide people, but my most important objective is that they understand what it is that they're enrolling in and what they're buying so that um, they're not surprised. That that's always makes me sad. Um, when you're purchasing these things or enrolling in these things and you're healthy, you don't think about it very much. But then if you become ill and you have to utilize these products, that's where the rubber hits the road and it gets a little more complicated. Yeah. And that's what I say about healthcare in general. You know, we've got the we've got a wonderful uh, healthcare system in this country, um, especially if you never use it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you're using it, it doesn't always feel so. Uh, it doesn't always feel so good. Um, so, could you um, briefly talk about? Uh, the this this income related uh, adjustment to premiums, the, the IRMA that you mentioned, I think it's an important uh, thing for for people to understand. Of course. Um, so when you enroll in Medicare, you enroll via Social Security, and when you enroll in Medicare Part B. Um, because you can decouple A from B. That's another whole conversation. But if you enroll in Medi once you enroll in Medicare Part B, uh, Social Security obtains your tax returns from two years earlier. So if you're enrolling in 2023, they'll be looking at your 2021 tax returns. They first look at whether or not you file as an individual or whether you file as a couple. And then they look at what's called your modified adjusted gross income from that year, 2021 in our example. And if you exceed certain thresholds of income, you are required to pay an extra amount on top of your Part B premium and your Part D premium. And this extra amount is called an income-related monthly adjustment amount, and we shorten it to call it an IRMA. 
And so the IRMA, the extra amount, just to give you an example um, for part B, the extra amount can range anywhere from an extra, I'm just looking at my little cheat sheet here, an extra um, 100, uh, excuse me, an extra $68. Oh, nope, this year it went down. That was another little uh, thing that happened uh, for 2023. So it starts at 65.90 and it can go up to as high as $395.60 extra on top of your Part B premium. The extra amounts for Part D range anywhere from $12.20 up to an extra $76.40. The thresholds and the amount you pay in 2023 as compared to 2022, again, went down just like the Part B premiums went down by a little bit. So, so what gets complex is that um, if someone's retiring, let's say in 2023, uh, they were working in 2021, their income will be probably higher in 2021, 2022. And so in their first year or two of retirement, their IRMA rates could be, at least at first take, could be high. They could be. The good news is that it does get reassessed every year. And there's um, so therefore, again, as you move further away from retirement and they're looking back two years and now all of a sudden your retirement years kick in um, again, your IRMAs can fluctuate and change. They can also fluctuate and change based on uh, some sort of windfall or, you know, for, for a particular year. Um, but. Uh, here's something to think about. Um, you can actually, if you are retiring um, and you have an IRMA that is assessed, um, if your prospective income is going to go down as a result of a life change, and there is some criteria about this, so that life change could include work reduction or work stoppage, which is what retirement is, um, you can file for what's called a reconsideration of your IRMA based on your prospective earnings. That process is a little bit convoluted. It's not really clear on the Social Security and Medicare websites about how to do it. We've guided clients to work with their financial advisors to um, put a package together about um, they meet the criteria because work stoppage is occurring. And if their income is going to go down precipitously in the year ahead, um, they can file, they have to fill out a form. And we usually suggest that they attach a few other things. We suggest that they communicate directly with someone in the Social Security office about filing for this reconsideration. And we have had people who have either had their IRMA reduced to a lesser amount and or eliminated completely based on their prospective earnings. Hi, this is Catherine Broy from the Raskin Planning Group. Apologies for the interruption. Thanks so much for listening to Wealth is in the Details. We hope you're enjoying it so far. If you have any questions or would like to talk more about this topic, please visit our website at www.raskinplanning.com. Look for the podcast's show notes and connect with us via social media. Yeah, and it can be such a it can make such a big difference um, as we're doing financial planning with our clients uh, to really take that into account. You know uh, how much income we should recognize in a given year because when you get over those thresholds by just a dollar, 
you you push into the the higher Irma uh, premium amount, and um, if it's sometimes it's easy to control that. So we just want to make sure we're being diligent and doing the proper planning. Absolutely. So Peter, I'm assuming that you've seen these numbers and you see that the thresholds have even changed um, for the upcoming year. So um, because uh, last year, I think it was greater than 185,000, if I remember correctly, and now it starts at 194. So that's a little bit of improvement. Definitely. No, I think 182. I'm sorry, I went from 182 to 194. Yeah, that that will help. Gives us a little bit more room. So, so Diane, one of the reasons why I wanted to um, get you on the podcast at this time of year is because um, we're we're in the now we're in the Medicare's open enrollment period, and I wanted to uh, have you talk about why. Uh, participants should be interested or concerned about that. So, you know, Medicare participants, what, wh why is that a big deal? They've already got their Medicare. What, what do they have to, why should they make another decision? Yes, it's a really good question. And, and open enrollment season, this is our craziest time of year. We just love it. <laughs> I'm being a little facetious because by the end of it, I'm pretty exhausted. Um, but it begins on October 15th and it ends December 7th. And what you're allowed to do during this open enrollment season is make a change. And so we highly recommend that you reassess what it is that you enrolled in in the past for several reasons. One is because your scenario, your, your, your situation may have changed. You may be managing a chronic condition now. You may be accessing much more care. You might have new medications that have added to your panel. Those medications might be very expensive. So you really should reassess what it is that you purchased in the past based on your changes. The other thing that can change is um, the plans can change. The Medicare Advantage plans can change. The Medicare Part D prescription drug plans can change. The Medicare supplement plans generally don't change. It's the other two that I'm more concerned about. Um, and so a plan that last year covered one of your medications at a very reasonable amount could decide next year not to cover it at all or to cover it with a significantly higher copay associated with it. Um, so your situation can change and the plans can change. The plans also negotiate pricing every year uh, with the various um, drug companies and pharmacies. And so um, even looking at what pharmacy you're using, you could see that next year, gee, if you switch pharmacies, you might be able to um, have a significant savings. So we really highly recommend that you do a reanalysis every fall. If you're happy with where you are, you don't have to do anything. Everything will just roll right over. Um, but um, if you, uh, another thing that can change is a plan can be eliminated. Um, and if you don't do anything, they'll just place you in another plan from that company. So, um, so if you identify that indeed uh, you could have some cost savings um, from changing plans, well, then you have to take some action during this annual open enrollment season and enroll in a new plan. You don't ever have to disenroll from an old plan. Uh, fortunately, if you enroll in a new plan, it automatically disenrolls you from what you were previously in. And everything, all the changes that you make all go into effect uh, January 1st, 1201 on January 1st. 
So it's a really good idea to, um, to reassess every fall. Could you give some examples and situations that you've seen where it would be uh, good information to, to have and, and, and uh, situations where it might make sense to make a change? Yes, it's always about the prescription drugs generally. Um, you know, I have some clients who take some very expensive prescription drugs. Some of the biologics can cost upwards of, you know, $18,000 a month retail, retail cost. Um, and so even with a Medicare Part D prescription drug plan, remember earlier I mentioned you have to meet a deductible, you could end up in a, cover, a coverage gap, and then you end up in catastrophic coverage. And so I have some clients where their out-of-pocket cost on a monthly basis can still be around $1,000, even with the, the Part D plans. Well, imagine if you don't check and that same plan that you were in decides not to cover that cost next year, and you uh, not to cover that drug at all, um, and that drug retail cost is $20,000, well, you have no coverage for that drug come next year. Now that's a very extreme example, um, I would say, but I have had clients, um, you know, who take, some of my clients take upwards of 20 and 25, you know, medications. Things like Xarelto are expensive. Things like certain eye drops are very expensive. And again, depending, depending on the negotiations between the prescription drug plan and the, 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 the companies and the pharmacy companies, uh, you know, a drug that last time you paid $47 copay, you might all of a sudden have to pay $127 copay. So um, I've had clients where, you know, if there's like a $300 difference from plan to plan year to year, it might not be worth the administrative hassle of changing a plan because now you have to get a new card. And if you've got mail order, you have to set up a new system. But I've had clients where, you know, it's upwards of a thousand dollar difference. And so then it's, it might be worth it to, to make the change. All of the prescription drug plans, you know, in, in any given zip code, you could be eligible for 23 to 30 plans. There's an algorithm on the Medicare website that allows you to go and put your specific drugs in at the dosages at which you take them and how often you take them and your preferred pharmacy. And you can put in other competing pharmacies. And if you enter all your data in, the algorithm will sort those 25 plans, say, in order of least expensive to most expensive, taking into consideration the premium, the deductible, and what your specific out-of-pocket cost will be month by month, depending on what phase of the plan you're in. And so it's not easy for people to go and do that because they're not used to it. We do it all the time. We can do these analyses quickly. Um, but, um, you know, if you can't get help from someone like me, you could go to a shine counselor who knows how to use those algorithms. I, I have had some clients who are so motivated to learn how to do this. They want to do it themselves. Um, sometimes you're, it used to be that the pharmacies would, would do some of this analysis. I don't think they're doing that very much anymore. Um, you could, you know, so you really have to kind of do your due diligence. You know, I, I've heard recently of a, of a situation where um, a client had a um, was on a very expensive uh, uh, medication, and their their Part D plan um, didn't allow that specific drug, mm -hmm. um, and made them 
uh, wanted them to get off of that drug and try other drugs before they would cover the drug that they were taking. Could you could you talk a little little bit about that? Yes. So this frustrates me as a, as a nurse, as a healthcare professional. Uh, I really get frustrated by some of what I call the administrative burdens and barriers that are placed in front of healthcare consumers by insurance companies. And so what you're referencing is something called step therapy. And although philosophically I understand uh, the thought process, um, it is very frustrating, especially for people who um, have probably experimented with their physicians already on, on the appropriate drug for them. So what step therapy is, um, a good example might be, you know, a, a, a woman who is having some trouble with um, bladder control. This is a really good example. And, um, and so, you know, new drugs have come out over the years about all of this, but the insurance company insists that you, you start out with maybe with one of the older drugs. Um, and that you experiment and see whether or not you get a beneficial effect from that drug. And if you, and, and it's a terrible word to use, but if you fail on that drug, meaning you don't get the beneficial effect, well, then they want you to try the next class of drug. And if again, you fail, then they'll cover that third class of drugs. So it's called step therapy. Now, you really have to work very closely with your physician's office about all of this because your physician's office has to provide the medical documentation um, that either demonstrates, you know, for, for someone who doesn't, you know, I have people who are already on a drug and they've experimented over the years. And so one way you can kind of appeal to the insurance company is to, um, file for an appeal right away using documentation from your physician's practice that says, we have already experimented and here's what happened with the first drug and the second drug, which is why we're on the third. If, if, if you're not at that stage with someone, well, then you have to start out with the first, but then you need the physician to document again that it didn't work and now you're trying this one and that that didn't work and now you're trying this one. I really struggle with all of this, I, I must admit, because it just puts a huge administrative burden on the individual and or the physician's practice. The physician's practices are very used to this. You know, they deal with it all the time. They often have a designated person internally in order to um, be communicating with the insurance company, providing the medical documentation to substantiate the need for a particular drug. But it just puts up more barriers. It's more... Um... Uh, it, it, it's just more tension, you know. It, but and but we we understand why they why Medicare and, and the insurance companies do it. But uh, it just it, it just again is is just a another example of the complexity of our healthcare system and um, why this your your services are so important for many people um, because you you explain it uh, and you can help them work through that process. Yes, yes, it, it, it's it's tedious and hard and causes causes angst. Um, you know, again, especially for people who have um, you know chronic illnesses for which they have worked hard to get themselves in a good place with a particular medication. All of a sudden, they transition to Medicare and they're like, "Wait a minute, I wasn't dealing with this before, and now this is really frightening to me." That's what really gives me a lot of angst. Absolutely. So, um, so Medicare open enrollment is is here. Um, we recommend anyone that is currently 
on Medicare uh, and taking medication, especially to do a little bit of um, of research and determine uh, if their if their medication is covered as it should be, as they want it to be, and yep. um, and that that's a service you you provide on a regular basis. And I think it is. I wanted to make another point too about Medicare Advantage plans because um, I dealt with this with my dad many years ago. Remember I mentioned that Medicare Advantage plans have an out-of-pocket maximum. So not only could they change their drug coverage, they can change other components of how they cover things. Uh, so he was so proud. This was many years ago when he said, oh, I got a call and I switched from one plan to another. Of course, he didn't consult with me. And then when I when I researched, I realized that he switched from a plan that had a $5,000 out-of-pocket maximum to a plan that had a $10,000 out-of-pocket maximum. That's a big difference, especially for someone on a fixed income. So you really now these plans are all required to send you what's called an annual notice of change. So I would ask your listeners, to pay attention to such a thing if it comes in the mail it should be it should be mailed to you um, and it should highlight any changes that are occurring with the plan that you're currently in uh, for the 2023 year um, if that plan is still going to exist again sometimes they eliminate certain plans and say oh by the way now if you don't do anything we're going to place you in another plan and here are the parameters of that plan hmm I we we get so much mail um and and i think those that are are 65 plus um get so much mail from insurance companies at this time it can be really confusing <laughs> what to look at i know well i've i've trained my father now he handed me the annual notice of change just the other day oh good great <laughs> so there was some recent legislation uh passed the inflation reduction act and uh it included some provisions that that affect uh, Medicare and prescri prescription drugs. Uh, could you could you talk a little bit about this and how it might affect uh, Medicare participants? Sure. So um, I think with when any you know I'm very excited about some of these changes. I must admit, um, but I'm <laughs> I'm a little frustrated by how long it might take to get them in place. Remember, I said that. Uh, the Part D plans, the legislation passed in 2003, but it wasn't until 2006 that it got enacted. Um, so some of the provisions of the um, Inflation Reduction Act are very exciting. Some are going to happen right away and some are going to take some time. I think the one that is, um, is I know the one that's going to happen right away that's a really great thing is, um, is for insulin uh, to be capped, the uh, you know cost of insulin to be capped at $35. Um, that's a huge thing. Um, that it's interesting for people like me who are actually doing these assessments because um, the the legislation was passed after all the plan documents were kind of all in place, and so we have to go through a pretty convoluted way to even incorporate that into our analyses. Because if you just do a traditional analysis on the um, algorithm on the Medicare website, it doesn't it doesn't accommodate this. You have to go through some extra steps. But I have clients uh, who take a couple of different types of insulin. So each of them would be capped at $35 and that's going to start um, in 2023. So that's very exciting. 
Um, another uh, thing that's going to happen in 2023 is some adult vaccines um, that were not previously covered. For example, the shingles vaccine um, is now going to be covered in 2023. So that's a great thing. Um, there are some extra help subsidies for people who are low income uh, uh individuals that are going to kind of kick in uh, sooner rather than later. But the ones that I think have gotten the most publicity, um, the, the negotiation of pricing, um, there will be 10 drugs uh, that um, the federal government or Medicare will be allowed to negotiate pricing for. Um, they're going to start out with 10 and then it will it will grow from there. But that's not going to happen until 2026. The other uh, piece um, is uh, out-of-pocket costs are going to be capped at um, $2,000. And remember, I was talking about that client of mine who was paying about $1,000 a month for a biologic medication. Uh, well, that particular client is really going to benefit from this because you know her out-of-pocket costs over the course of the year were about $12,000, but it'll be capped at $2,000, but that's not going to happen until $2,025. Um, and there are a few other little provisions that, again, are going to be um, incorporated over the course of the next couple of years. But those are the major ones that I think everyone has been um, been talking about. So it's it's great that that uh, these changes occurred. It's just going to take some time to roll out, which is um, which is too bad. But that's that's our government. And that's that's called compromise. <laughs> that's and, true. But yeah. I am excited about the insulin. Uh, yes. Because um, some of my clients who are taking multiple different types of insulin, again, have really high uh, out-of-pocket costs on a monthly basis. So I'm, I'm very excited to do those analyses, as excited as you can get about doing a Medicare analysis, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Diane, once again, I'm, I'm so, so pleased that you were able to, to visit with us today. I think the information that, that you provide is vital um, for, for so many of us that... Um, that are on or will soon be on taking advantage of Medicare, which is a fantastic program. So we've we've been I've been probably a, a little sound a little critical, but it is a great program. Uh, it does provide significant benefits to, uh, to, to 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 U.S. citizens, and I think we should be proud of that as 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 a, as a, as, a, as, a, as something that 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 we provide to, to everyone that's in need. So um, I do want to ask, uh, how, how do listeners work with Health Assist and, and what's the best way uh, for them to contact you or to find out more information? Sure. So we have a website. Um, it's um, healthassistcorp.com. Um, our contact information is on that website. Um, so um, you can just, you know, if you're in touch with us, we're, we're, a, we're a team of five um, and uh, it's, the, your, any email that anyone uh, sends us via the website comes to, comes to me. Um, you could just dial the number on the, on the website. Um, I, I might mention that, you know, we do complimentary webinars uh, about Medicare. Uh, we're going to be doing one on November 3rd. Um, and so if anyone is interested in attending again, they could just reach out to us and we could get you enrolled and, and registered for that. You know, we, uh, you know, we work with clients sometimes over the long haul, meaning we, you know, work with them through an entire project, we, you know, which might take many hours to get them enrolled in Medicare and make their best choices. But we also do one hour, just one hour consults for clients who can enroll in, in one of those 
um, via the website. Uh, sometimes people just want to talk with me, give me the basics of Medicare. You know, other people say, I just want to talk about my relationship with my doctor or I'm struggling to find a new primary care physician. So that's another way to work with us. So we, we work with people in different ways. I, and I, I must say that we've, uh, we've referred many of our clients to you um, to help them with these issues. And every single one is so grateful for for your for the information they've gotten and for your counsel it's been invaluable and uh i just i really i think you're a fantastic resource and i i, I hope our listeners reach out to you to, to to ask any questions and see see how you might be able to assist them because that's what you do you assist people around their health needs so thank you peter so diane again thank you for for joining us uh can't I, th I think what you're doing is great and uh if anyone is looking to reach out to you uh wants to call us um please do uh probably the best way to reach us is at at raskinplanning.com and uh we can either refer you directly to diane or or please reach out to diane directly so thank you again diane thank you Peter, this has been a fantastic podcast. Diane, of course, another time being a great guest. I mean, it's such such great information. Open enrollment is is vitally important for everyone to be reviewing at that time. And then if you're new to this, wow, I'm so glad you're there to help. So thank you so much for being on the show again. Of course, Peter, thank you for facilitating this and always bringing on amazing guests. And our last thank you, of course, always goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp., a broker-dealer, member SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.